electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We are following several major stories this hour. The sell-off in stocks, the worst in weeks, at least it was. The countdown to Apple's very important earnings report, that coming after the bell. And the very latest with GameStop. Yes, Chamath Palihapitiya joining me later to discuss that situation, why he got involved, what all of this means. We'll see Chamath in just a bit. The investment committee here. With me, as always, joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, John Nigerian. I'll take you to the wall first. I'll show you where stocks are trading. We were sharply lower. We're off the worst levels, believe it or not. Dow, though, still down 455. S&P down about 2 percent. NASDAQ, 1 and 3 quarters percent. We do want to get a little bit more on this story about what TD Ameritrade is doing regarding restrictions in trading on GameStop and maybe some other names, too. Our Kate Rooney has been following that for us this morning, and she joins me right now live with breaking news. Kate? Hey there, Scott. We are getting word from TD Ameritrade just now that they're putting trading restrictions on GameStop, AMC and other securities. The company telling me just now that the in the interest of mitigating risk for their company and clients, they've put several restrictions on some transaction in GME, AMC and other securities. They made these decisions out of an abundance of caution, they say amid unprecedented market conditions and some other factors. This, of course, with GME, again, soaring today, AMC and TD Ameritrade and other retail brokerage firms uh, seeing outages on their platforms. Scott, back to you. Okay. Kate, thank you. We uh, will continue to follow this story, obviously. We'll talk to Chamath in, in just a little bit. I do want to talk to our gang uh, about this. John Najarian, let me, let me begin with you. Um, John's on the phone, by the way. Um, John, you with me? Yes, I am, sir. This, this notion of what, of, of what TD Ameritrade is doing uh, and by the way, I'm told from a source that it's related to margin. Um, so maybe that's not all that surprising. However, um, what's your what's your initial reaction to what TD Ameritrade is doing? I'm getting, you know, the, the kind of information and emails and tweets that I'm getting from people uh, are like that should not be happening uh, in this marketplace. This, this is my money. I should be able to trade it however I want, uh, assuming I understand the risk. Yeah, uh, you know, like. People in Vegas say, uh, let me lose my money like a man. Uh, but, Scott, um, the, one of the issues here is that an awful lot of those trades that you and Kate described, whether it's AMC, which I'm in, or GameStop, which I'm in, or Express, or any of these other companies, are being made in the derivatives market. That means, of course, calls and, in some cases, puts. Now, uh, if you buy a call option, of course, you can convert it into stock. You call that an exercise. You exercise your right to buy the stock. Now, in many cases, I'm not saying all, but in many cases, the people who have these now deep in the money calls in any of those names, Scott, do not have the capital in their accounts to basically turn a $5 option, a $20 option into a 
$275 stock because 1,000 shares of a $270 stock, you, know, you and I know, $270,000. They don't have that. So instead, what they're having to do, Scott, is they're selling in-the-money calls against their positions. Not all of them, but a lot. And when we see that, they are selling these options below parity. Parity, of course, is if I have a 100-strike call um, and the stock's trading at 200 and I, can, I have to sell that option for like $70, that's $30 under its intrinsic or in-the-money value. Um, and that's happening across the board in these big stocks, again, because the people who own those options can't afford to turn them into stock, so instead they're selling that option or another option, and that selling process is pushing those options below parity. It's like free money. It never happens on Wall Street, but it's happening right now. And TD Ameritrade, I'm guessing, I haven't spoken to anybody there, but I'm guessing that they're trying to keep these people, Scott, from basically losing too much money on exactly that process. They're giving away hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars by selling these calls below parity. Well, and, you know, some of these firms and TD Ameritrade, probably not the only one that is now um, has a 100 percent margin re requirement, um, John, to your point on, on GameStop. Joe Terranova, just give me your thoughts. Doc, I want to get back to you because you said something in there that I think a lot of people, you know, caught that you're involved in, in GameStop. And I, I do want to talk to you about that. But Joe Terranova, your, sure. your reaction as you're watching all of this uh, occur today. This is a classic example of an extension of leverage that has not been properly regulated. TD Ameritrade, congratulations to all of the online uh, platforms. What took you so long? To the regulators themselves, what allowed you in the environment that we have been in 2020 for whether it's a hedge fund, an individual or an entity to be able to short against the entire float of a stock? There's no reason behind that. So the leverage aspect of this, you still have people that are able to deposit $50,000 in an account and go sell Best Buy, which is traded right now at $48 and sell 2,000 shares of it. Well, if that stock rallies $30, you're out your money. We're not properly monitoring leverage. That's the problem here. We're not properly placing guardrails in place. We've got these circuit breakers, Scott. What are the point of these circuit breakers? The circuit breakers, they shut off at 4 o'clock. Why? Why are there no circuit breakers in the extended hours? We have circuit breakers for futures. So I have a little bit of a different take on all of this than I did on Monday, because on Monday I was concerned when I saw a 159 print for GameStop 48 minutes before we went on air, and now I saw an 80 print while we're on air. We have new people finally participating in the market. I don't want them to leave. I want them to be educated. I want them to participate. They are the future of the markets. But we have to make sure that we ensure the environment for these individuals. And right now, what you have going on is a classic example of you've got, yes, you've got retail investors, but you have Silicon Valley battling it out with hedge funds. And what has evolved from that is that there's an actual strategy in the market that's being implemented. It's all the small cap stocks that have heavy short interest, and they're going after them. And we saw this, by the way, in January of 2018, when hedge funds implemented the 
a volatility strategy of being short volatility. Does everyone remember what happened over that week when the short vol trade blew out? So the short squeeze trade from hedge funds is blowing out right now. That's exactly what's going on. And for the first time, it's going to implement it's going to impact our market right. because there's going to be a need to raise capital and sell some of the winners. You, so the point you're making is is a point that Bob Greifeld, who used to run the Nasdaq, was just making with with Carl and John about the the short interest in GameStop being higher than the shares outstanding. And uh, I talked to somebody last night, uh, a hedge fund manager who tried to short GameStop yesterday, um, and that lasted about 15 minutes, and they knew they were going to get run over, so they got out at a loss. And this person said to me, if I knew that it was 125% short, I wouldn't have done it in the first place. Um, A lot of people, Joe, are taking note of, of that fact. It's a good point that you make. Steph, you've been around the street a long time, seasoned investor, seen a lot. Right. Invested in a lot. What do you make of this? Never seen anything like it. And I think the overall broader uh, averages are down because of this very thing. I think those of us that are fundamental analysts and portfolio managers and investors, this is absolutely not normal. It's concerning. It's a bubble. This is where the bubble is right now in the marketplace. And it is alarming. It really is. Um, And it's taking down the overall market. And I actually am thinking about looking at the 10 year today. It fell below one. Right. I'm wondering if maybe all of this is starting to lead to a lot more concern about kind of broader implications. And so it's taking down, uh, taking up the bond market in terms of price. But the yields are coming down. Um, So I do think, though, that this is nowhere I want to play. I mean, I was astounded that GameStop had 144 percent of their float uh, short. I mean, that that was as of but December you, you, 31st. You said That's, this I mean, is I, you just said you this even, is you just said this is taking down the market in, in, in what sense? I mean, because because to, to this point, most of the commentary has been this is just a, a corner of the market. The spillover effect may be minimal. You're suggesting that it's it's already showing up in the broader market. How? I, I just I feel like it's sentiment. Right. I think people are just saying taking a pause and saying, my goodness, what is going on here? And is it going to lead to something more extreme? Are people going to lose money? Because guess what? You can make money on these things, a ton of money. A lot of people have made a ton of money on these things, but you could also lose a ton of money. And I think that's what's not really being priced in. I don't think these investors that are playing this game right now, and it is a game, I don't think they realize that they can lose money. And how does that have a ripple effect into the consumer? Does that have a ripple effect into the economy? And so I therefore think we've come far fast in the markets overall. That is one of the main reasons why I think we're seeing a sell off. And we've seen kind of sloppy action over the last couple of weeks, quite frankly. And you've seen money go back into growth versus value because people are believing that perhaps maybe we're going to all of a sudden see the economy being impacted from this somehow down the road. The the, the saga itself has, has obviously captivated everybody. Wall Street, you've got a lot of well-known names weighing in and, and buying in, too. And that includes our next guest. He tweeted on Tuesday that he'd gone long through call options. Chamath Hapatia is the CEO of Social Capital. He joins us now on the phone. Chamath, thank you for being here. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So you tweeted yesterday that you bought $115 calls in GameStop. Can you tell me what your position is as of this very moment? Yeah. Um, can I... Can I uh tell you a little story before all of that or no? Why don't you tell me that first and then we'll go from there. 
So this morning I woke up after spending all time, <clears throat> all last night in Wall Street bets, reading about all of this stuff. Um, <clears throat> I ended up closing up my position this morning, and I wanted to announce that I'm taking all the profits that I made, plus my original position. So I'm going to take $500,000, and I'm going to donate to the Barstool Fund for small businesses. Um, but I really want to tell you, beyond the 500 grand um, donation or the the money that I invested, which was, you know, not a huge amount in the grand scheme of that stock or the entire market, what I learned, because I think what I learned over the last couple of days is important for everybody um, that's watching CNBC. And that is? I think that what you're seeing is um, essentially a pushback against the establishment in a really important way. You have a lot of people, and I would encourage anybody who is dismissive of this thing to go into Wall Street Bets and actually just read the forums. And I think that you're going to see three kinds of posts. The first kind of content are a lot of people doing some incredible fundamental diligence on companies, trying to think about long-term value. And in my opinion, many of them are doing as good and, frankly, a better job than a lot of hedge fund analysts that I work with. That's number one. The second are a lot of people who believe that, you know, coming out of 2008, what happened was Wall Street took an enormous amount of risk and they left retail as the bag holder. And a lot of these kids were in grade school and high school when that happened. They lost their homes. Their parents lost their jobs. And they've always wondered, like, why did those folks get bailed out for taking enormous amounts of risk and nobody helped and showed up to help my family. And then the third thing is a realization that instead of having idea dinners or, you know, quiet, whispered conversations amongst hedge funds in the Hamptons, these kids have the courage to do it transparently in a forum. And I'm not saying all of it is perfect by any means, but I think it takes um, an enormous amount of faith in the system to be that transparent to talk about things, and then for each individual to make their own mind up and to do things, whether it's to buy and to sell. And I think that what it proves is this retail phenomenon is here to stay. There are 2.7 million people inside of Wall Street Bets. Um, I think that they are as important as any hedge fund or collection of hedge funds. And I think the most important thing is that in a world of zero interest rates and quantitative easing, I don't know how you can run a typical hedge fund strategy and make money anymore because, for example, when you looked at GameStop, you know, a normal person would say, how can you have 136% short interest? How can you be short 40% more shares than actually exist in the world? To a normal person, that doesn't make any sense. But to a Wall Street mathematician, that's the game that has been played for years. And that game came undone. Well, I mean, so that, I that, that, that may be a, a that, that may be somewhat of, a, of an extreme example. L let me just go through a couple of things you, you said here. Um, I have a hard time believing. I mean, you suggested that there's, you know, a good amount of fundamental research going on underneath the GameStop Reddit situation. Do, do you truly believe that? That there's actual you fundamental know, I, research, I, not to yeah, disparage I, in any way that the people who are actually making these you, trades, you, but you this are, seems to be momentum rather than no, a deep come, fundamental okay. analysis. Scott, there's momentum in traditional hedge funds and how they move stocks as well. But it's really disparaging if you, the starting position is these guys can't do the same quality of research as an analyst in a fund. 
That's just not true. I didn't say that. They all, they I didn't say, I didn't say they can't do that kind of research. I'm questioning whether they're actually doing the research when it comes to things like GameStop and they're, AMC they're, and, and some of these uh, other things. There's a distribution. And obviously at one end, there are fundamental analysts. But on the other end, there are momentum traders that follow trends. But by the way, the dirty little secret of Wall Street is that exists in hedge fund land. The reason why this GameStop trade has caused so much pain is because at the top of the pecking order was Melvin Capital. Those guys were incredible stock pickers. They are incredible fundamental modelers of companies. Okay, Gabe Plotkin is one of the sort of giants of our era, of my era, right? But at the end of the day, what happens is, irrespective of what he puts on, his trades are mimicked and copied by umpteen other hedge funds that follow along. For every LP that can't get into Melvin, they get into a copycat fund that works basically like Melvin. And so when the trade goes against him, then it goes against all these people all at the same time. So the reality is there are fundamental momentum investors in the market that are organized capital, i.e. hedge funds, and disorganized, loosely affiliated capital, i.e. Wall Street bets. And I think what you're seeing is the push and pull of that. And the realization should be that if every person was forced to publish their fundamental research, it would be hard to distinguish the best version of research from Wall Street bets and the best version of research from a hedge fund. They don't have an edge. And this is what you're exposing, is that that edge is gone. And now all of a sudden, you know, retail can be on the same footing and they don't have to be the bag holder to Wall Street. But, but let me That's let me ask you this. I mean, there, but 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 somebody from retail um, is going to eventually be the to use your words bag holder in this situation. Are, are they not? And do you think it's it's responsible for you and some other big names who tweeted about it yesterday and to get involved yourself knowing that you guys are considered the Pied Pipers, that people are going to follow you into these trades and someone is ultimately going to get hurt after you and others are long gone, Chamath. Dude, where was that message in 2008, Scott? Really? I mean, that's a joke. For example, let's look at Tesla. Who was right on Tesla? I'll tell you who was right. Every single retail investor. I was right. Elon Musk was right. Let me tell you who was wrong. Every single hedge fund, name after name when it comes to innovation, when it comes to growth, when it comes to people trying to do fundamentally useful things in the world, if it doesn't fit into the mold that Wall Street wants, they try to organize against it. And there has been pushback after pushback after pushback in individual names. And this is yet another form of pushback. And all I'm trying to say is the mechanics of how Wall Street has worked and again, I wish you would ask this detailed question. Why is it allowed for somebody running a hedge fund to basically claim that they are market neutral, but be levered up? They take a $10 billion fund and their prime brokers allow them to run $100 billion of notional experience, uh, of notional exposure. Who thinks that that's fair? It's not fair to the retail investor, because when that blows up and a $100 billion hole exists in a fund, which, by the way, this is exactly what happened in 2008. The government bails them out. Who is the government? All of us. So, you know, retail has been the bag holder before. Retail hasn't caused these things before. Hedge funds have caused these things before. So if you're going to talk about taking the gun away from the baby, let's make sure we figure out who the baby is. Yeah, but do, do you think that you helped fan the flames and others 
like you, uh, whether it's, you know, one of the Winklevi brothers tweeting about it, Elon Musk tweeting about it, that it's, it's, it's ultimately driving this stock up well beyond what the fundamentals say that it should be. I mean, I don't think you think, and you tell me, you think, you think that GameStop is, is worth $350 a share? What I can tell you is that when I put that position on, $125,000 position, I used it to acquire knowledge and learning. And what I was trying to figure out is how these positions move in the modern trading era. And what I can tell you is, up until that point, the setup made no mathematical sense. How do you be short 140% of a company's shares? That wasn't retail. Well, maybe, that, maybe that's a question for, for regulators, that, that maybe the whole, the, the way that that's allowed to happen needs to be, be examined. But I'll tell, you how it's, I'll tell you how it's allowed to happen. It's allowed to happen so that hedge funds can charge 2 and 20 to their limited partners, independent of consequences. I'll tell you another way that it's allowed to happen. Hedge funds are allowed to take their money, go to a prime broker, and all of a sudden get 10x multiplication on that money. That's the problem. You have trillions of dollars of notional being traded by these organizations. You have maybe billions of dollars being traded by retail. I want to get back to the issue at hand, which I don't feel like you answered the question. This idea of, you know, somebody's going to get hurt. You sound like you're an advocate for the, for the little guy, so to speak, right? Um, but yet by getting involved, why did you get involved in the first place? I mean, you said that to I, get yeah, information. I mean, you wanted to make money on the trade. Come on, right? You wanted to make money. To move the needle, I need to strap on hundreds of millions of dollars. So I wanted to learn. Why did I want to learn? When I saw that article in the Wall Street Journal, I had no idea about Melvin Capital, really. I had no idea about Wall Street bets, really. I had no idea about GameStop, except that it had been mentioned to me in a couple of tweets throughout the year. So I tweeted out after I read the article, hey, folks, tell me an interesting trade that I can put on tomorrow for a few hundred K so I can learn, basically. That, that tweet got 10 million impressions and 13,000 comments. And when I went through there, a lot of people pointed to GameStop and pointed to Wall Street bets. And when I went in there and started to look around, what I thought is, my God, here is a dynamic about trading, about momentum, about stocks, about short interest, about gamma squeezes. These are not things that I know a lot about. And so I put in a small position to learn. And what I learned is that people can do fundamental research, come to a point of view that's diametrically opposed to organized capital, and they can be right. And I'm allowed to be on the right side of that. You know, it's not my job to go and defend a bunch of, you know, highly compensated hedge fund managers against losses. And just the fact that for one time those folks lost, we can bellyache and cry on national television, to me, is a joke. Well, I mean, I don't There's think a that... lot of kids. Hold on a second. There's a lot of kids and a lot of people on Wall Street bets who have made money to pay off their mortgage. I read about a post yesterday of a kid that was able to pay off his entire student loans and posted it. That's amazing progress. I don't even I'm not I'm not suggesting and, and I'm not trying to come off that way that I'm suggesting what what what's happened on Wall Street bets or 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 what these this cohort of traders is doing is is wrong. It's not. I, I don't think that there's much of a difference from and I know it's been mentioned on this network already today. But the first thing I thought of in this situation was back to the Herbalife episode where you had a fairly sizable group of well-known hedge fund managers decide to take the other side of Bill Ackman's trade. He was, of course, short. They all went long. 
They sure they made a fundamental case in their own mind and whatever worked for them to have the conviction that they did to take that trade. Um, part of it was undoubtedly trying to hurt the short who was Bill Ackman at, at that time. Maybe some of them did it through uh, going to an idea dinner or whatever other forum through personal phone calls or emails. And there was a large group of people on just, one side. of the trade. Sorry, I don't you, think it's any different. I don't think you, it's you any just, different. You just you, you just said it's not different. You're right. Idea dinners, idea dinners. That concept has existed for decades on Wall Street where people get together in closed rooms behind closed doors and usher around names of companies and they coalesce and decide to cooperate together. The guys on Wall Street bets just do it in the public completely transparently. In my opinion, that takes a lot more courage because you could actually be wrong. Somebody can actually say, hey, listen, what you said made completely no sense whatsoever. Um, and so what is the difference? In my opinion, this is the modern day instantiation of that dynamic, just writ large and at scale. The only thing I'm concerned about is that there are inevitably going to be people who get hurt. Not I'm not talking about hedge fund managers. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people who follow people into the trade, who think that this stock is going to continue to go up because that's what they've been conditioned to think what, in the pandemic. What should we do? Because all stocks go up, do? apparently. What, what should we do? Not allow folks. Here, here's what will happen. If you basically if you follow your logic, then you'll say, you know what? Retail doesn't know what they're doing. I think you're wrong. Then then the thing will be retail shouldn't be allowed to participate in the stock market. I think you're wrong. And then you know what will happen, Scott? The inequality gra- gap will grow and grow and grow. Because then if you what are they supposed to do then? Buy an ETF, a passive fund? They can't buy into hedge funds because the rules don't allow them to. So now, systematically, what you've done is you entrench poverty. No, I mean, come that back, that's taking it too far. This is just accentuating so those thoughts that, 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 that Wall Street's a casino and nothing more. That, that's what I, this I, is I, perpetuating. I don't, think so. I don't think so. I think this is an example of if you are going to so massively oversell a company to the extent that you're selling 40 more shares of that company that don't exist, and all of a sudden other folks are like, hey, wait a minute, this is going to get squeezed, and they buy it. That's just a smart trade. Retail saw it. Wall Street missed it, and they paid the price. So maybe, to your point, Scott, what regulators should do is say, hey, wait a minute. How can we allow companies to be 140% short? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe that's what should happen. You, you think this, this, this overall situation is, is, is fine for, for the market? I'm also curious as to look. You... you you have taken companies public um, through SPACs uh, at a rate that, that others ha- have not. You're relying on the integrity of the stock market itself to be able to do what you do and be successful doing it. You don't think what we're witnessing now calls into question the integrity of the stock market, that a lot of different stocks with seemingly no fundamental story behind them to this degree, can see their stocks rise in this magnitude, and all of that is just fine? That there's nothing wrong with the integrity of the system if that is occurring? The, the lack of integrity in the system is the precursor that caused GameStop to be sold short 136% and for people to try to pile on and destroy a company in front of our eyes. That, to me, feels wrong. That feels pretty un-American, if you ask me. I think GameStop is a reasonable business. You know, I think what they do is reasonable. And so the fact that they shouldn't be allowed to exist because all of a sudden, like, we decide that they should be in, obliterated into the ground. Well, they should be allowed to exist. To 
They, they should be allowed to exist at whatever their stock is should be valued at based on what their earnings are. And this stock was like free market seventeen eighteen dollars not that long ago. Who says that? Who says that? Are you? Do you want to make the same argument about Tesla? It's gone ten x in a few months. You don't know what it's worth. Let's be honest. Okay. You, and you don't. Money, you don't think that Tesla's growth prospects? Scott, I, have, I have Scott. I have my own model for the company. I'm allowed to underwrite however I want to own it. Everybody that bought that stock is also underwriting how they want to own it. And the point is, just because you're wrong doesn't mean you get to change the rules, especially when when you were wrong, you got bailed out the last time. That's not fair. Yeah, but doesn't mean that that these these investors who were short the stock were necessarily wrong. I mean, I still haven't heard I still haven't heard you tell me what the fundamental case is for GameStop at 350 or AMC theaters, which are, have been closed for months and months and months, is, is worth what the stock's trading at now, or any number of these things, the way that they're trading. There, there's no fundamental reason why they're there. They're trading because there's this momentum cohort behind it, whether it's on Reddit or Robinhood or wherever else. But why, but Scott, why, why is that all of a sudden so wrong to you, this kind of momentum trading? Because, for example, if you look under the hood on every quant strategy, organized, quantitative, strategic hedge funds on Wall Street, those things are all momentum shops. They trade day over day, massively levered, small swings. So basically what you're saying is, hey, if retail runs a momentum play to squeeze a short, that's wrong. But hey, if Renaissance Technologies and somebody else does it, that's okay. That's what you're saying. You may not know that that's what you're saying, but that's what you're saying. And to me, that feels very unfair. No, no. What, I, what, I, what I'm saying is someone's going to get screwed, okay? Someone's going to get screwed. And it's going to be the, one of the retail, it's going to be a retail investor who gets screwed because they think that this is the way the game works, that this is the new Wall Street. They're new to this game. Maybe they haven't been in the game that long. Not everybody. Not trying to say that in any way, shape, or form. I but somebody's going to get away. hurt. I'm not talking about the billionaire with the big house in the Hamptons. I'm talking about the person I, who thinks this is cool, fun, and an exciting way to spend their time. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking away that there's an element of that, but you're really discounting how smart so many of these people are. Okay? And all I would encourage you to do is spend a little time in these forums, go into the Discord server, and you're not going to hear a bunch of bros just sloshing around. You're going to hear a bunch of really, really smart people talking about things in fundamental ways. Chamath, don't tell and me so, that yesterday AMC Entertainment was, was uh, you know, know a $5 stock, AMC. and Scott, today it's up 170%, and that's justified. Don't tell Scott, me that some of these names are justified I, to being where they are. Scott, it's one company in one moment of time. What I'm saying is you're... There's like 10 companies, sweeping. 15 companies, 20 companies. You're broadly sweeping with a broad brush that says these guys don't know what they're doing and they don't deserve to do what they are doing. And what I'm telling you is there is a small part of momentum. There is a part that's fundamental analysis. And then there's a part that's just sticking it to the man. I'm not taking you away from that. But the reality is it's all allowed in a free market. And all of a sudden, if you start to gate decisions by individual people, all you're going to do is systematically lock in institutional ways of making money for institutional clients. And I don't think that's the solution. If you want to go and address the solution, fix how risk-taking happens at the institutional level, fix the precondition, fix the ability for these stocks to be so massively shorted in the first place, 
change the business model of funds so that they're not forced to be these small net, highly levered funds. Change the leverage ratios. Those are all institutional decisions. But don't all of a sudden look at a short squeeze where money is being made by retail and all of a sudden say, hey, they could and may be the bag holder in the future, so let's make sure that they can never participate in the future. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't say that. I didn't say they shouldn't be you're able to participate. You're saying that. I'm that not saying the they shouldn't be able to participate. <laughs> I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to participate. You want to say, you're saying they should participate on your terms. No. On Wall Street's terms. No. In a way where they get the, when, no. when Wall Street can have the best of it, they can maybe participate on the side. But then when Wall Street gets the worst of it, they, their parents, no. their relatives will just come and bail them out. Not what I said. They, I'm glad that, they're participating. That, that I'm glad the they're making a lot of money. I just that think it needs pattern, to come with a warning sign. Path, there needs to be a hazard pattern, sign, all right? There needs to be a hazard sign. The hazard should be, hey, FYI, for example, why isn't there more transparency in the reporting that hedge funds have to make? Every long position, every short position, and all the leverage they're taking every day. Why don't we do that? Then you would have a warning sign. You know why? Because people in retail would analyze that stuff so intricately and we would know where the tripwires were, okay? The reason why GameStop happened, Scott, was not, again, because of a fundamental disagreement about valuation. It was because of portfolio construction arbitrage. Too much leverage, too much short selling, too many calls, you know, or pardon me, too many put buying. All of that stuff contributed to this dynamic. That was an institutional dynamic that was created by institutional capital. So if you created transparency in reporting, that probably wouldn't have happened because a regulator would have said, hey, guys, uh, I'm not going to let you be short 140 percent of a company. That's not right. And then you know what would have happened? The squeeze would not have happened. Now, so if you want to fix it, I think you've got to go and ask for the same transparency because you can't all of a sudden have your cake and eat it, too. Let's have hedge funds operate in the shadows, but let's then basically lambast Wall Street bets because they actually have the courage to write their stuff down publicly where anybody can see it. I mean, the, uh, look, my point is that I'm not lambasting anybody, okay? I'm glad these people are making money. That, that's, the way it, that's the way it should be. That's the way Honestly, it should be. let's face it. No, no, you're not, okay? And, you know, the person that was on before you, no, she's not. And that's the issue. It's like because the rules are changing underfoot, people don't like that. Now, I'm not saying that there can't be better That's regulation, okay, and there can't be tighter rules. I get all of that. But what I am saying is that you have to be cognizant that we are moving to a world, moving to a world where normal, ordinary folks have now access to all the same information as institutional organized capital. And they will come to many of the same conclusions, sometimes at the same time, oftentimes faster, and sometimes to the opposite conclusions. And sometimes at the same time, sometimes faster. Okay. You will see more volatility like this in the future. I want to see. Solution, hold on a second. The solution to this is more transparency on the institutional side, not less access and ability for retail. I want to see the white papers on, on all of these companies that are, that are flying and all of the deep fundamental research that suggests that all of these stocks, and there are way more than one, this is not one stock, one story. Okay? There are a lot that. For are judgment. fundamentally challenged in this environment, right? I'm you, sorry, but, but how, for example, if we went back to Herbalife, were you supposed to adjudicate that and decide that one short thesis was better than one long thesis? Who are you to judge? No, that wasn't my job. Well, whose job then? A regulator's job before they can put the trade on? What are you saying? 
don't come here and tell me that you're suggesting that all of these stocks are up because they're, they're fundamentally in that place. I'm saying you and, I, you and I both know that there's a massive distribution of reasons why people buy and sell securities. There's, there's some that are purely value-oriented about backward-looking discounted cash flows. Some other people all think about future cash flows, future product innovation, future margin construction. Other people think about momentum. And that is allowed. If you look at hedge funds, there are strategies for any which way you want to play. Some folks only short companies. Some folks only go long companies. Some folks write, you know, run a totally net neutral strategy. They all exist. And I think what you're seeing is a proliferation of that kind of diverse thinking and risk taking in retail now. Because before, retail was largely known as long only. And now for the first time, you're starting to see more sophistication in retail. And I think, again, I'm just predicting the breadcrumbs here, and it, could, and it could be wrong, is that over time, retail sophistication will catch up to institutional sophistication, that the strategies that exist institutionally will exist on the retail side. And so my point in all of this is if you want to make the system better and healthier, force more transparency on the institutional side. Gary Gensler should get these guys to be just like what Kathy Wood does in ARC. It's so healthy for the ecosystem. What am I buying? What am I selling every day? What are my risk limits? Just make it transparent. And these kinds of dislocations may or may not happen in the future, but if it does, it'll be completely uh, transparent and you will see it coming. Right, and me, there's nothing wrong with that. Let, let me ask you this, because we've, we've, we've gone on for a while. Can you stick? Can you let me take a break and we'll come back? Stick around. Oh, yeah, sure. Stick around. Let me take a break. I'll come back. We'll have more with Chamath Palihapiti in just a moment. We, of course, will talk about Apple looking ahead to their earnings after the bell as well. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A Senate panel has endorsed the nomination of Pete Buttigieg to be Transportation Secretary. A confirmation vote by the full Senate could happen this week. Buttigieg would be the first openly gay person to be confirmed by the Senate for a cabinet post. Fiat Chrysler has agreed to pay a $30 million fine to settle a federal criminal probe into conduct by some former employees tied to a United Auto Workers corruption scandal. In Moscow, Russian police have searched several properties connected to opposition leader Alexei Navalny. They broke into his office and also entered an apartment where his wife is reportedly living. And in Berlin, the German parliament holding a special session to commemorate International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Holocaust survivor Charlotte Knobloch asked lawmakers to protect Germany from present-day extremists. That's the news update this hour. Halftime returns in two minutes' time. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we are back. Uh, we continue our conversation with Chamath Palihapitiya talking about GameStop. Hey, Chamath, you know, the other thing that caught my mind, uh, my eye yesterday was our own John Nigerian, who, who I have on the show today, who uh, at one point yesterday went short GameStop. I don't know where he is now. John, are you, are you still with me? Yes, I am, Scott. You, I'm still with you. Are you still short? And you tweeted at Chamath yesterday something to the effect of this is how it's done. <laughs> And then the stock just surged. Yeah. Well, but I know you'd find this hard to believe, Scott, but that's those spreads that I put on. I put on put spreads. And the reason for that, as you know, but I'll explain it to the viewers quickly, is that you are limited in any potential loss to what you paid for the spread. So I put on hundreds of thousands of dollars of positions, just like Chamath, but I then spread it against other short positions in puts, thus creating a position where I know for sure, Scott, if the stock is above 60 by April expiration, I lose $45,000. If, on the other hand, um, some sort of uh, rationality returns and that 136% short interest comes down and the stock comes down by April, if it's between, say, 60 and $30, I'll probably make two or 300000 So it was just... It was me saying to Chamath, here's a way to put on a bet against the squeeze that's going on here. Chamath did a fabulous job buying calls, trading out of those calls, and making a nice profit. And by the way, Chamath, I also donated to the Barstool Fund this morning before we came on air, even before I heard that you did. And any of the profits I make from this trade, if it's 60 or below, all of that is going to be going to the Barstool Fund um, over with uh, Dave Portnoy and the guys. I think that that's awesome. Can I say something? I I, I just think sure. like this 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 is the exact thing that I'm talking about. I don't think that you know, John, you did a one pager and a massive DCF. I think you're a sophisticated investor who, through a lot of experience, mm-hmm. has figured out what you're good at. And you know, in and when you saw this opportunity, your spidey senses went off, and you yes, put a sir. trade on. And it's a momentum driven trade. There is no difference, Scott between John and, to be honest with you, most of the people on Wall Street bets. Nothing. Maybe the net worth. But I'm telling you, these kids are catching up fast because they know what they're doing, too. And the reason they know what they're doing is because of companies like Google and things like the Internet that just make every piece of information available. They give you access to compute resources. You could be a kid sitting at home writing models into Google Cloud that give you the same compute power as the best hedge fund, as the best investment bank. And this is what I'm trying to get across to you guys, is we are leveling the playing field. It is happening. And so there are a lot of people as compelling and as smart as John that you guys don't know about that are just behind a screen name. And I think that's okay. And I think we just have to embrace the fact that this is where we're going. Sure. I think we also need to be cognizant, though. And and I you want to see his one pager, by the way. Are you going to hold John's hand and make sure that, you know, you know, before he crosses the street? Is that what you all? No, no, because John, no, no, because no, because unlike you, John didn't suggest otherwise that there were fundamentals involved. He he didn't, right? So I don't need a one pager. That that that's part of my point. That's what we need to do. So what are my? What are you the free speech police now too? I mean, come on, Scott. Like, what are you saying? 
I mean, that's that, that sounds funny, and I'm sure that'll play well on Twitter. But I don't know what what, what does that mean. I mean, I'm saying that that clearly we're in a moment of time in in the market. Okay, um, where fundamentals for some stocks obviously don't matter. Okay, nobody, I don't care who they are, is going to come here and tell me that the fundamentals are behind a lot of the moves in these stocks. They're just not. Okay, period, end of story. They're just not. It's a moment in time. Some say they're this is emblematic of the some, I, some say this is emblematic. Hey, hang on. Some say this is emblematic of, of a bubble. OK, and I ask you a question? I'm, I'm concerned about people getting hurt in what may okay, end up I, being a I part understand. of the market that's in a bubble. That, that's all. When, stock, when stocks trade down, OK, in moments of dislocation, I don't know if over the last three or four years you guys can throw up a chart. But there are there are times where you'd see tip to tail drawdowns of, you know, five, 10, 15 percent over the course of days and weeks. What, what are we supposed to do in those situations? Just stop the market so that it can't go down? No, but this is a unique situation. This is a you again, admit. I mean, Scott, you're getting you're getting into trying to judge. And my point is you can't judge. So don't try. OK, you have to understand and believe that there is so much information out there that people can be on a level playing field and that the most important thing we need to do now is shine the light into the corner of the market that is still opaque. And there is only one area. Companies are forced to publish every single thing about themselves transparently every quarter, okay? ETFs publish their positions every day in some cases. Retail talks about what they're doing with transparency every minute. But institutional <clears throat> capital can still hide. And so if you want to create a truly level playing field that evens these things out and minimizes volatility, force these folks to show you what they're actually doing under the covers. And when you see that some of these funds are taking $50 billion and running it like $500 billion, I think we will all say, wait a minute, now that's the real risk in the room, not a bunch of guys, you know, momentum trading like John's doing. Look, I, I understand. I'm glad we had this conversation. I think it's an important one to have. It's a moment in time that we're going to look back on. And this may be the story of 2021. We shall see. It's a long year and it's early. Um, last but not least, because I don't want to leave this out. And uh, Kara Swisher would be mad at me if I did. Um, the governor thing. <laughs> Is that real? You really want to be the governor of California? Here's, here, here, here's what I will say. Um, I think Gavin Newsom has done a terrible job. Um, I think that people are leaving in droves. Uh, crime is really high. Our education outcomes are the worst of any state. Our taxes are the highest of any state. Our air quality is the worst of any state. And so this is a state that I think is just so absolutely incredible, but right now is being run off the rails. And to the extent that we can recall him, and to the extent that my agenda, which I just tweeted out and explained, resonates with people, zero state taxes, a minimum teacher salary of 70K, school vouchers so that you have school choice, 2000 bucks for every kid born in California. I think you would see a renaissance in California that would be glorious. So that's what I'm willing to say right now. First step is we need to recall Gavin. All right. We'll, we'll leave it there to be continued. Thanks for your extended time today. I'm glad we had this conversation. Scott, can I just say one thing? I love you. Um, I be like on the right how- side of history, big boy. Be on the right side of history. <laughs> I, want, I want to make sure people are on the right side of this market. That, that's all. And not, and not get hurt. Chamath, I'll talk to you soon. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back.
We have another big interview tomorrow with Leon Cooperman. He'll be with us at 12 noon. We'll get some stock picks, get his thoughts on the markets as well. We do have Apple, of course, reporting tonight. Oh, yeah, Steph. Oh, yeah. Better late than never. <laughs> a lot riding on I this it, now. I think huh? it's going to be. Act- yeah, no, I think it's going to be um, a good quarter. I expect double-digit growth, year-over-year growth at all five segments. We've gotten some very good data points from TSMC, J-Bill, Dialogue Semi, uh, about 5G. And so we know that Apple's a 5G play, plus a work-from-home beneficiary. Uh, and also, I think they're going to see very strong growth in their app uh, business. So I expect this to be a very good quarter. And if anything, if this thing trades down on the news for any reason, just because there's high expectations, I want to be buying more. Yeah, you and uh, I'm sure a lot of other people, too. Steph, do you have a final trade? Blackstone, they had a really good quarter this morning, and the stock is barely up. Uh, better fees, better assets, uh, asset management, better assets under management, flows and margins. So I like this story a lot for 2021. Okay, thank you for that. Joe Terranova, first your thoughts on Apple, and then you can give me a final trade, please. Agree with Stephanie, you'll probably get a $100 billion quarter, people buying laptops, tablets. 30% of the annual sales come from the quarter that we're about to hear from, so uh, I'm not concerned about that. Natural gas uh, continues to rally. EQT, CNX is the way that I'm playing it. I like EQT a little bit better. I have a bigger position in that relative to CNX. You, you think Apple, Apple earnings are, are as important as we are making them out to be for the, for the overall market, Joe? No, I don't. I think uh, what's important is uh, where this conversation that you just had with Chamath plays out and is there further liquidation from hedge funds. Okay. All right. Good stuff. John Najarian, I still got you, I think. Um, yes, Apple, sir. I know you have a big position in, in Apple, maybe your biggest. I can't remember if it's that or Microsoft, but your thoughts there and then uh, work a final trade and you got less than 30 seconds. All right, Scott. Uh, Apple, it's uh, all of these upgrades came before the earnings tonight. That's something that normally occurs after. So, in other words, I think the analysts are actually behind this one, Scott. So I think it goes higher. And Keurig, uh, Dr. Pepper is my final trade. KDP, unusual option activity. I bought that during the show. Okay. Uh, A lot of green on our final trade board uh, today. We will certainly keep our eye on the markets and GameStop, as we have been for the past few weeks. Apple after the bell. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.